Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. Well, it's always brilliant to be together. You know, we often say it's good to be together. It is good. It's brilliant to be together. It's amazing. It's fantastic to be together. And um, Deborah and I have been Christians for over 35 years now. That means we have been literally to thousands of gatherings like this. And I can honestly say, I have never attended a Sunday gathering without an excitement and an anticipation for all the potential, for all the prospect of all the Lord wants to do amongst us. It's brilliant when we gather together. So really warm welcome from me. And um, to all those watching online who still can't be with us, but are very much a part of us, to Mike and Annette, to Angie, Mary, Alison, Andrew and Carol. I was going to say Keith, but Keith is here. A personal greeting, Keith. Keith, great to see you. And um, as Rich said, just to, to start this morning to introduce a new theme, a new season amongst us. Just before that, um, a, f- a few updates. This is kind of the best place to say these. Um, it was brilliant last Sunday to be in Market Harbour and to lay hands on Benjamin and Kim and to um, introduce them into the core of the leadership of our congregation in Market Harbour. Not as, el- not as an elder, Benj, but very much amongst the eldership there and working with those guys in his gifting. So that was a thrill. Uh, Rich and Sarah were there with us, and Andrew and Joy, and also to lay hands on John and Wendy Longfield and set them in as deacons in that congregation. So that was also, everything's going to be brilliant this morning, okay, get ready. That was brilliant as well. It's going brilliantly in Atherstone. And um, yeah, I don't know whether Ovi and Laura are here this morning, they are, but we have, it's going great up there over the last few months, and a, a group is gathering not only of uh, Brits, and not only of Romanians, but of a South African and Bangladeshi and many other nationalities I probably can't think of, but it's all brilliant. <laughs> it's going brilliantly in Kenya, and uh, we've just booked to go there in, in a few weeks' time, and uh, the, the churches there are, continue to thrive. Tomorrow morning, um, you'll get a little email, because one of the particular needs in Kenya at the moment is Bibles for children. And um, they have over 500 children across the congregations, but I've set a target of 400 Bibles for now just because of the ages and the, the language ability. But I would love us to be able to, to pay for 400 Bibles for kids in Kenya. We can source them through uh, what used to be the Gideons in Canada, as it happens, who can get us Bibles in Kenya for four pounds each, which is pretty good, English, English language Bibles. So, um, so tomorrow morning there'll be an email about this and I would just encourage you to, to give beyond ourselves in that way, buying, buying as many as you can for a child in, in Kenya. They will be super grateful. Thank you so much. So, in the context of the last couple of years, there is a verse in Esther, chapter 4, verse 14. Esther's a sneaky little book, just after Ezra and Nehemiah. And hard to find, so I'm going to put the verse on the screen for you. Uh, in which, um, you might know the, the backdrop of the story here, but um, Israel have been um, 
have been taken over by the Babylonians, taken into exile, and the Babylonians in turn were overrun by the Persians. And so there's a remnant of Jews who find themselves um, under Persian rule in Persia. And one of them is, is this young girl, Esther. And um, through an amazing story, which is really worth reading, if you can find that sneaky little book, have a good read. It's brilliant. And um, Esther becomes the queen of Persia. And her guardian, her uncle Mordecai, says this to her because the, Jew, the whole of the Jewish remnant is threatened, literally, it's an existential threat. And Esther has been made queen, and her uncle says, who knows that perhaps you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. I just feel, I know, I know many of you will share this, that in, in this time we've been in, there's a growing sense that we have come into his kingdom for such a time as this. That we're here, all of us, a few hundred of us this morning, fantastic. That we've been born. Then we've been born again. Two births, how wonderful is that? And uh, baptized with his Holy Spirit. And joined together like this for such a time as this. A time when people are in tremendous need, weary and worn out like sheep without shepherds. But open and turning to God in in prayer and looking for answers and looking for certainties and looking for hope and visiting churches. And we're here. This is our day to be God's called out, set apart people, a kingdom community in the midst of the towns and villages, people of hope. Abraham and his descendants after him, which includes us, have been blessed to be a blessing. Blessed to be a blessing. Read the promises over Abraham in Genesis 12. And in our case, with very significant, unfinished, prophetic words over us. What a day to be alive. And, um, and in, that time, in this time, it, it's really vital that we know, we, it's always vital we know these things, but especially right now, we know who we are. There's a little thumbprint in this banner. It's a sense of identity, what we know who we are, and we know why we're here. And I want us to read a very familiar story that gets to the heart of those questions, who we are and why we're here. So if you'd, if you'd turn in your Bibles, you, it will be on the screen, but I assume you've all got Bibles because we're Christians and we've come to church this morning. And it's good to have a physical Bible. Have I mentioned this before? Yeah. Okay. And you can actually turn the pages and you can write in it and you can remember where things are and you can do the hard lifting yourself and become familiar with God's word. So um, in Acts chapter 2, we're going to read these, these very familiar verses that describe something of who we are and why we're here. It is also on the screen. So those who accepted his message, this is the day of Pentecost, this is the day the Holy Spirit has been poured out and and a crowd have gathered to, to find out what it is they've just been hearing and seeing. 
Peter tells them this is, the, this is the promise of the Holy Spirit. And this Jesus whom you crucified has been raised up and he's Lord and Christ. And it says those who accepted his message, verse 41, were baptized. And that day about 3,000 people were added to them. Now I know these are familiar verses, but please just look intently at what we're reading here. 3,000 people were added to them. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. Then fear came over everyone, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and had everything in common. So they sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had a need. And every day... They devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. Very familiar. Fantastic. About a year earlier... Jesus had promised to build his church. That's that moment where he asked the disciples, who do people say I am? And they give him a report. Some, some say this, some say that. Uh, largely linked with, with pro- prophets that might have come back or re, uh, re, um, re-emerged amongst them. And he says, but, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. You are the son of the living God. Jesus declares how blessed Simon Peter is to have received this revelation from the Father. And he says, on this rock, on this bedrock of that revelation, I will build my church. That was about a year before. He'd spent the next year, Jesus had spent that year preparing his disciples, continuing to prepare them, often behind the scenes and to get everything ready, and to teach them and train them, to transform them, to build their faith, leading then to his redeeming of them, his saving of them, his his forgiving of all their sin, and then then explaining more about the kingdom of God to them, right at the beginning of the book of Acts, and, and all of this culminating in his ascension and his ultimate act, which was to pour out his spirit and fill them with the same spirit by which he himself had moved and lived and and, and ministered. That all took place over the preceding 12 months or so. And now, in this description, here is what he promised. Here is the public launch of the church he'd been talking about. Here is the first visible demonstration of what he meant when he said, I will build my church. It isn't finished. It isn't fully mature. It's certainly not perfect. But it contains all the seeds, all the ingredients for all its future growth. And I think that's why the Holy Spirit has given us a permanent record 
of some of the vital hallmarks of this church. Look again at these things. I might want to flick the screen around here, Pete, a little bit. But, but they were devoted to apostles' doctrine, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. There was a healthy fear and honor and respect of the Lord Almighty in this church. There were, consequently, signs and wonders There was a togetherness, a sharing, a radical sharing of lives and togetherness. There was a meeting all together and from house to house. There was gladness. There was simplicity. There was favor with outsiders. And in consequence of all of these things, there was daily addition to this church. Look again. Look very carefully. This church is secure, is focused, it's relational, it's generous, it's exciting, (laughs) it's simple, it's miraculous, and it's growing. Jesus promised to build his church, and this is what it looks like. This is what he's building, and it challenges everything that lacks the security, the authenticity, the simplicity, and the power of what we see here. Church, this is our starting point. And what he builds among us may be expressed a little differently in our culture, in our context, but these same essential ingredients and hallmarks must be seen amongst us here and now. Amen. Amen. But we'll never fully grasp who we are and why we're here unless we read part two. Most people think that the the description of the early church, of these hallmarks, ends at the end of chapter two. But it doesn't. We must read on because crucially the The hallmarks of his church don't end at the end of chapter 2. There's much more. And part 2, which is the immediately following beginning of chapter 3, we're going to read that now. It's absolutely vital we understand what's happening here. So again, look carefully. Now, one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple complex at the hour of prayer, at three in the afternoon. And a man who was lame from his mother's womb was carried there and placed every day at the temple gate called Beautiful so he could beg from those entering the temple complex. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple complex, he asked for help. Peter, along with John, looked at him intently and said, look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I have neither silver nor gold, but what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. And then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up. And at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up, stood and started to walk, and he entered the temple complex with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. 
all the people saw him and recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple complex. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. Chapter 2 described a church that met together every day and enjoyed fellowship, experienced miracles, shared their lives, gave to anyone amongst them in need, ate together, enjoyed favor with the wider community, and as a result, experienced God adding to them every day. Chapter 3 describes one day typical of those every days and involves Peter and John in an encounter with a lame man who spends every day begging outside a gate called Beautiful. Friends, the, the imagery could not be more profound what, what we're set up to, to understand here couldn't be more pronounced. Peter and John are part of a community inside the kingdom, the church. And they're enjoying the blessed, beautiful life every day. This lame man is literally on the outside, literally of the temple, literally outside this beautiful gate. And this man, this man's everyday could not be more different to their everyday. He's disabled. He's disqualified. He's utterly dependent on others. Desperate, without dignity, facing the darkest of futures. But Jesus turns his church inside out and Luke makes sure we see this Peter and John arrive at just such a time if you've been around a while you've heard me preach on this before that there's a square meter on planet earth and there are millions and millions and millions of square meters on planet earth but at just such a time as Peter and John are on their way in, as this layman is being carried to sit where he's placed every day, every day the church are in there enjoying the blessed, beautiful life, every day he sits out here, but on this day, on this one day, their, their lives collide inside the same square meter of planet Earth. And Peter and John are able to meet the needs of the world around them. To take the blessings that they're enjoying on the inside and share it with this man on the outside. To take hope, to take health, to take the life of their community and share it with him. What we have, we give you. What a watchword for our day. This man was there for just such a time as this. Ecclesiastes 3, another sneaky little book. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says he's made everything beautiful in its time. 
And here at this time, in an act of kindness and goodness and faith and generosity, we see something beautiful. Jesus promised to build his church and this is what it looks like. It's secure, it's focused, it's relational, it's generous, it's exciting, it's simple, it's miraculous and it's growing because it's turned inside out and giving what it's got. And that's exactly what he wants to do here amongst us. This man ultimately goes with them through the beautiful gate, joins the community, goes, becomes an outside, but now he's on the inside. Three years earlier, as Jesus emerged from the Jordan River and the Holy Spirit descended on him, and William, who I think shared brilliantly a couple of weeks ago, referenced this. As Jesus comes out of the water, the Holy Spirit comes down upon him and and there's a voice from heaven and the Father declares, this is my beloved Son. I take delight in him. And then again, a couple of years later, when Jesus is transfigured, when Jesus is transformed before their eyes on that mountain with Peter and, and James and John, again, the Father declares, this is my beloved Son. And I take delight in him. And I think it's as if, as the church emerges from the immersion, from the transformation of Pentecost, it's as if the Son declares, this is my church. And I take delight in her. His church is on display. He wants to show us off. Ephesians tells us we're his masterpiece, the finest thing he's ever created, and, and describes in that book of Ephesians how we're his display on earth to neighbours, to friends, in our locality, lives that are set apart and different, offer hope, offer healing, offer peace, offer joy, a restored people, not perfect, but making some progress, a shop front. Peter and John say, look at us. Should be possible, church, shouldn't it? For us to say, look at us. For people to come and be amongst us and find God. The church is the gateway to heaven. The house of God, the gateway to heaven. People, people should be able to come in and look at what they see here and find the Lord. With his display into the heavens. Ephesians says that through the church he wants to display his manifold wisdom to, to powers and, and authorities, to principalities. Church, our gatherings really matter. Say more about that in just, in just a moment. Over the coming months, we're going to explore what it means to be such a people as this, at such a time of this, in such a place as this, here in the towns and villages, and, and to look especially at the story in the book of Acts. And I want to really encourage you to to get reading the book of Acts as, as readiness for this new season. Have a read through a few times. Get a couple of different translations. Have a good read through the book of Acts. Look at how this church took up its apostolic commission and invaded the culture of its day and took the gospel of the kingdom, a gospel of hope and healing to multitudes and planted churches that planted churches. And it's our prayer that at such a time as this, we will all know our place and our part. And God will deepen our identity 
and motivate our mission, that we will know what it means to be a Bible-believing, spirit-saturated, gospel-giving people joined in apostolic advance. That's who we are, a Bible-believing, spirit-saturated, gospel-giving people joined together in apostolic advance. As we look at Acts, we're going to meet men and women who knew they'd been born into the kingdom for great purpose, who seized the day, who laid hold of the moment and, and positioned themselves to be used by God to change their world, actually to change the world. Obviously, there are giants like Paul who laid hold of that for which Christ had laid hold of him. But there are others like the seven who stepped up to serve so that the 12 could be released. Like Cornelius, who invited Peter into his home so the gospel could break out amongst the Gentiles. Like Lydia, who opened her heart, and then opened her home so that a church could be planted in Philippi. Like Barnabas, who just went round encouraging and strengthening. Like Aquila and Priscilla, a couple who relocated several times and hosted churches in their homes in Ephesus and Rome at least. Like those 12 unnamed men, this is an, an amazing moment, a brilliant moment in the book of Acts, Acts 19. 12 unnamed men in Ephesus who'd got their foundations not quite right, but Paul comes along and and, and, and settles things and they're baptized in water and they receive the Holy Spirit they begin to speak in tongues and from that small beginning the mighty church in Ephesus began Jesus promised to build his church and this is what it looks like men and women who know their lives count who play their part because they believe they were born into his kingdom for such a time as this we might say they rise to the occasion. They write, could you just turn to your neighbor right now and say, it's a time to rise. I know some of you hate this. <laughs> Others of you love it. So we might do it a few times. Why don't you turn to somebody and say, it's time to rise to the occasion. Time to rise to the occasion. What else are you talking about right now? Okay, that's enough. That's enough chatter. You know, the, the psalmists frequently call on God to arise. Arise, Lord. Rise up, Lord. And it's, it's, it's usually to, to bring some kind of deliverance or to deal with an injustice or to rescue his people or to bring glory to his name, the, the psalmist frequently say to God, Lord, God, would you arise? But if you turn to Isaiah 60, you'll find that God also tells us to arise. Isaiah 60, verse 1. It says, arise. This, this is a prophetic word. Yeah. To Zion which is clearly fulfilled in the church. The cornerstone of Zion, the cornerstone of the church is Christ. 
Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord shines over you. Arise, church, shine. Because your light has come. And the glory of the Lord shines over you. For look, darkness covers the earth and total darkness the peoples. But the Lord will shine over you and his glory will appear over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your radiance, etc. In a time of gathering gloom for so many, we are called to arise and shine. At such a time, let us help one another to rise to the occasion. I want us to take a closer look, and and I want to sort of finish with these things, a closer look at some men and women who literally rose to the occasion, who literally stood up, rose, arose to embrace a time in their lives where I think they could say, I'm rising for such a time as this. I want us to hear God's heart to us at this time. What about that lame man that we already read about in Acts chapter 3? It says of him that Peter raised him up, so he jumped up. (laughs) Peter raised him up, and he jumped up. And have you ever thought about this? It takes something to do something you've never done before. This man had been lame from birth, never used these legs. And with that comes a mindset, doesn't it? A way of thinking. And I don't know all that was going on in that moment. It's a tremendously beautiful moment. It's, no, it's, it's profound that it takes place. I don't know whether that gate had a, had a banner over it, beautiful gate, but here's a beautiful thing taking place. This man has never used these legs before. He's about to experience something brand new. He needed some help. That's okay. Because he's ready to abandon his old ways, his old lifestyle, his old ways of thinking, and embrace a whole new perspective with all the profound shifts and adjustments and changes that was going to involve. I want to say maybe for some of us here today, It's a time to let go of the past and to get up, or in this case, to jump up and to leave old ways, especially old ways of thinking, of assuming, of presuming, to leave old ways behind and to start afresh. Maybe for a lot of us, in this story is also the heart of God for us is that we, we have some fresh hope for friends or neighbours who've been unmoved for years. Nothing seems to have changed for years. Seems like a lifetime even. I think it's significant that this story also tells us that the church grows as, as ones and twos reach ones and twos in everyday life. That mission doesn't depend on huge crusades, on massive auditoriums, on colossal budgets, 
that the real work of mission usually takes place out of the spotlight. There wasn't a camera crew with Peter and John. As we get alongside people, as we listen to their stories, as we feel compassion, as friends in need are reached and blessed and invited and lifted up and helped across the threshold. This is our task in our region. And Jesus has total confidence in us. That's the lame man. I think the heart of God for us, for some of us, is to say, leave old ways behind. What about Matthew or Levi, the former tax collector? Well, the tax collector at this point, Luke 5, 27, 28, Jesus calls him, and it simply says this, leaving everything behind, he got up, he rose to the occasion, and he began to follow him. He'd lived a sinful life, a tax collector. He'd taken advantage of others, but he knew his need of forgiveness. He embraced the offer from Jesus, and he began following him and living Christ's way. And maybe you're here this morning, and for you, this is a time to receive his love, his forgiveness, to hear him say, come and follow me. And to leave everything behind. And to start following Jesus. Rise to the occasion. Then I think about that, the prodigal son in Luke 15. Most of us will know this story well. Most of us can relate to it in one way or another. This young man who took everything that was his, as it were, and went away from home and totally blew it, reached the end of himself, learned the hardest of lessons, knew he was away from home, began to really miss his family, his father, needed help. So he humbled himself. He got up He got up and went to his father, only to find his father waiting with those outstretched arms, ready to kill the fattened calf and have a celebration because his son had come home. Maybe you're here this morning and for you, this is a time to get up and come back home to a heavenly father and to his family. And then in Psalm 122, there's a little verse. It doesn't say this in all the translations. I've got to be honest with you, but it says it in the one I'm using this morning. I was glad when they said to me, let us go up to the house of the Lord. Some simply say, let us go to the house of the Lord. But this psalm is one of the psalms of ascent. And they sang it on their way up to the temple to gather together. I was glad when they said to me, let us go up to the house of the Lord. And rising to the occasion at such a time as this involves embracing the privilege of being able to come up and gather together. In the temple courts, in our larger gatherings, 
and from house to house. And I have to say this to all of us, and, you know, the gathering of the church, whether it's all together or whether it's from house to house, is far more significant than we realize. Can I hear an amen? Amen. We are his body. We are his bride. When we come together in one place and are able to worship together and hear him speak and move in gifts and pray together in great power and welcome strangers and welcome newcomers and yes, entertain angelic beings, it really matters. At such a time of this, we must be very careful not to devalue or deprioritize the gatherings of the church by, by reducing my own participation. It's not a time to let things slip, to go from being here three and four weeks to feeling that two and four is, is probably enough. There's an enemy who, who stole huge amounts from the church over the last couple of years. We must not let him uh, have this. I know we've all re-evaluated what we give our time to. That's, that's generally good and right and proper, but let's be sure it's not the body of Christ. It's not the bride of Christ that gets neglected or relegated. Rich was saying the other Friday afternoon, when you, read, when you read the next verse in Esther 4, chapter 4, 14, I think it's maybe verse 15 even, her uncle Mordecai says, who, know, who knows that you've not been born into the kingdom for such a time as this? And the very next verse, Esther calls an assembly of her people. Let's, get, let's gather together. The gatherings of the church really matter. Being together like this is a privilege and a blessing and a benefit that many people don't have. I want us to challenge any of these trends and choose to gather. I can only say for me and my family, it's every week. Every week. Every week for the last 35 or more years. And I've never, ever, ever not looked forward to being with the people of God. Choose life. Choose to be gathering with God's people. Trouble is, of course, I'm preaching to the choir here. You're all gathered. <laughs> Tell your friends. We won't be okay without it. You know, just because we got through a couple of years, you know, in our jimmies, on our sofa, <laughs> peeling the potatoes, whilst Rich had, was preaching his heart out to us, just because we got through it does not mean it's best for us. God wants us gathered. Can I hear an amen? amen. Oh, hallelujah. We need each other. Maybe for you, this is a time to shake off old habits, recent habits, bad habits, and know a fresh joy of gathering with the people of God at such a time as this. I'm winding up to my conclusion. Could you turn to your neighbor and say, this is brilliant. This is brilliant. This is brilliant. Thank you. 
Thank you for that um, unprovoked. Well, I want to I want to look at Peter. Peter, you know, just before these stories that we read, it says a couple of amazing things about Peter, significant things. In Acts 1, verse 15, it says, During these days, Peter stood up, rose to the occasion. Peter stood up among the brothers and gives them an instruction about replacing um, Judas and Matthias is chosen. Then in Acts chapter 2, And verse 14, as the Spirit has been poured out and the crowd have gathered to find out what's going on, a crowd of thousands, Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and proclaimed to them. I really want you to listen super carefully to what I'm about to say. Lost my place. Peter had a lot to overcome, but he laid hold of what Jesus had said about him. He put his regrets, he put his mistakes, he put um, things I'm sure he would prefer they were not recorded for all time in the Bible. (laughs) That denial at the end of his at the end of Jesus' life, but he put those regrets and mistakes behind him. And on this day, he stood up. Cometh the hour, cometh the man. Peter stood up. The church needed Peter. The world needed Peter. The crowd needed to hear what Peter, in his revelation, was about to share with them. And at such a time as this, many of us, need to overcome intimidation, nerves, a sense of inadequacy, the imposter syndrome. Any of you ever felt that? I'm not sure this is me. I'm not sure I can do this. I'm not sure I'm qualified. I feel an imposter. I've felt that at times in the past. May well feel it again at some point. We have to overcome those kinds of things, and step up and be who God says we are. And especially, I want to encourage you this morning that we have to take up positions and tasks of service and leadership. Leadership. For where God is taking us, for, where, for all he has for us, for the growth he has for us here and elsewhere, we need, and if I can say this, I need many more leaders And many are already here. We're committed to letting the body be the body, to give expression to all God has put here. And it's time for everyone to thrive and to step up into all that God has for you, all he's made you to be, to find your voice, to to serve, to give give, uh, time to the things God has burdened you with, to take the brakes off, to take the lid off, because you have permission to give what you've got. And maybe for you, this is a time to step up into a place, into a position, if I could use that word advisedly at that point, into a role of leading, to go to the next level in your life that God has already been 
provoking you, stirring you about. We've got a couple of things coming up soon called Leadership Forum. We uh, have been at pains to say, don't be put off by that title. It's for everyone. And in our next session, we have Kerry with us. I've asked him to look back over 50 years of ministry and tell us what's been some of the things that, that, that he would say we need for our future. Honestly, you need to be here. It's going to be incredible. I don't know whether he's ever shared in this way before. It's, it's prime time this is coming up. Then we have Anna the month later. You've got the dates. I'd love this room to be packed. And some of you, especially if you're new amongst us, you need to be here. Amen. I've got one more person to reference, and that's Jesus. Mark 1, verse 35, says, Very early, Jesus got up, rose to the occasion, went to a deserted place, and was praying. I think we read that a few times about Jesus. He got up early. He went out to pray. There's others I could have mentioned. Abraham gets up early to sacrifice. Joshua gets up early to start the conquest of Jericho. Other places, a great little study. Look at people getting up, rising up, arising, standing up. But let's finish here with Jesus, who got up early and went out to a deserted place and was praying. And that sets the pattern that many have followed over the centuries. Deliberate, planned, we might call it devotional time. Time with the Lord. Maybe early in the morning. And I think all of us, myself very much included, are being called afresh to spend time with him in intimacy in that kind of place with him. It's never, ever been more vital than now that we hear his voice, that we receive his instruction, that we know his love. They remarked that these men had been with Jesus. They weren't wise, learned men, but they'd been with Jesus. What a time. So church, what can we be doing to position ourselves to be a church like that, at a time like this, where we can rise to the occasion by leaving the past behind, following Jesus, coming back home, gathering together, stepping up into leadership, and setting aside time to be with him. I don't want any of us to miss out. Jesus promised to build his church, and this is what it looks like. It's secure, it's focused, it's relational, generous, exciting. You'll appreciate, I've, tried to, I've just tried to slim down the num number of adjectives I'm using to these ones. It's miraculous and it's growing because it's turned inside out and giving what it's got and filled with followers of Jesus who know their lives count who believe they're born into the kingdom for such a time as this, and who are ready to rise to the occasion. May we be a people like this. At a time such as this, in a place just like this. This is what Jesus is building amongst us. This is what we're seeing. This is what we're going for. And I'm asking you this morning to be totally in.
100% in, to count yourself in, so that individually and together we might all rise to this occasion. Amen. 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 Lord, thank you so much for your word this morning. Thank you for every stirred heart today. Thank you that you only want the very, very, very best for us. And I pray that as we respond to you now, there will be decisions made that will change lives. Even, Lord, change nations because of decisions made today. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Holy Spirit, please minister deep into our hearts these next few minutes, I pray. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.